last week, and um, we started a very mini-series, because this week it's finishing. Last week, we started a very mini-series on God, uh, the Holy Spirit. Um, last week, Paul Woodward spoke about who he is, God, the Holy Spirit, how we can encounter him, and many of you actually did. And so this morning, I want to look at why, last time we did, who he was and how we encounter him, but this morning, I want to look at why, um, why is he so important in the life of a Christian? Um, if, you, if you're not sure whether you've encountered uh, or been filled by the Holy Spirit, you know what? You probably haven't. Knowing the presence of God in you is really evident. Okay, so if you're not sure, you probably haven't. Um, if you've been filled already, the Bible talks about keep being filled. So either way, after I've spoken this morning, we're going to have a time, an opportunity, if you like, to experience the presence of God. And so if you have contributions, which you normally would bring earlier on, you know, ask God um, for them as, we're, as I'm speaking this morning. And you know what? There'll be time and space for you to bring that, to minister. We minister as a group to the church, okay? Um, as Vim told us last week, you know what? Have you got faith for that? Because it's faith. That is important. So this morning I'm going to speak on what, what God, the Holy Spirit, does in, life, does in our life. Why is he so important? What are we missing out on when we don't have intimacy with God, the Holy Spirit, on a daily basis? But before we get into that, I just want to highlight something, something that we sometimes overlook. Paul Woodward briefly mentioned it last week. God, the Holy Spirit, is a person. Say that to the person next to you. God, the Holy Spirit, is a person. Yes, he's fully God. Yes, he was completely involved in the creation of the world. The world. He gave life to man. He's holy. He's eternal. He's glorious. He brings salvation. He has all authority and power. He's God through and through. But, but the thing that we sometimes overlook is that he is a personal He's, he, he is a person. He's a personal God. You know what? If you were to say that to um, um, uh, other people from different faiths, they would either laugh at you or some would even be offended. We worship a personal, intimate God. You see, the Holy Spirit is not just a force that we can turn on and off. He's not just an energy uh, that we're tapping into. He's not just an it either. He's a person. He thinks, he speaks, he leads, he's outraged, he's grieved, he loves. Deeply personal. You know what impersonal forces, its energies cannot feel those kind of emotions. Why is that important? It's very important. Because if we see God, the Holy Spirit, as a divine person, it totally changes everything about how we relate to him, how he moves in our life. You see, if the Holy Spirit, uh, you, see, you see, if you see the Holy Spirit as just a force, then being filled with a force is a very mechanical thing to do, isn't it? Like an electric force, do this, do that, push a few buttons and wham, bam, in he comes. It. But seeing God 
the Holy Spirit as a person. Make your experience altogether different. A few years ago, uh, Terry Virgo, if you don't know who Terry Virgo is, uh, he's the man who birthed and has fathered New Frontiers, uh, the family of churches that we're part of. He stayed at our house one weekend while he was speaking in Teesside. Charlotte and I were really excited about this. At the time, he was probably my favorite author and preacher. We really respected him. And do you know what? And do you know what? His very presence in our house changed everything. For a start, the house was spotless. <laughs> the waft of Mr. Sheen and shaken back was like phenomenal. Not only did the house look beautiful and smell beautiful, but Charlotte and I, we smelled beautiful too, but behaved beautifully. In fact, we were on our best behavior. No rows, no grumpiness, no sulking, kisses and cuddles. Nice words, you know. Now, it wasn't that we were putting it on. It wasn't an act, no. The things that would usually rub us up in the wrong way just didn't matter anymore because Terry was there. He was with us. To be filled with God, the Holy Spirit, is to have your life transformed by an acute awareness, a consciousness of the glorious person that lives within the walls of your life. Are you aware of him? Is that how you see him? Because if you don't, because if you don't, and I say this from the very outset, it will mean very little. What I'm going to say this morning will mean very little if that's how, how you don't relate to the Holy Spirit. We worship a personal God. He's the divine resident of our heart. And that fact totally affects everything, how he changes you. So, here we go. We're going to whiz through this now. Nine points. Fasten your seatbelt, sit back, put the back of your chair up, hold on, we're taking off, says, as they say in Ryanair. So, nine points about the Holy Spirit. So, first, in two sections. So, the first section is God the Holy Spirit restores our relationship to God. And he does that primarily in seven ways. So, firstly, he's the one... He's the one who starts it all in the first place. He's the one who brings new life. You cannot become a Christian without God, the Holy Spirit, beginning a work in you. If you're not a Christian here this morning, are you open to him? Because he could do something amazing this morning. In John 3, 5 to 7, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, no one, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he is born of the Spirit. You see, the Spirit gives new birth, new life, everlasting life. We are born again in the Spirit. You might have thought it was your idea when you chose to become a Christian. You might have thought it was your choice to start this relationship with Jesus. Wrong. God did it. God initiated it. God went out of his way to save you before you even thought about it. Jesus said in John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father, 
who sent me draws them. And it's the Holy Spirit who initiates that in, that in our lives. Do you want your life to be transformed in a way that will change you forever? Be filled with the Holy Spirit daily. Secondly, he convinces, that, convinces us that we're children of God. We're a child of God. If, if you're a Christian, you are part of the family now. He, uh, Ephesians 5 says, He chose us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Ladies, you are sons of the living God. That's a real honor. What the Apostle Paul is saying there is actually totally radical. Now, I know some ladies, you don't like to be called sons. You want to be daughters. But you know what? The Bible unapologetically declares that you are sons of God. Now, if you have a problem with that, uh, I just want to say that the Bible also describes us guys as the brides of Christ. So chill. The Bible isn't chauvinistic. But more importantly, if you have a problem with being called sons, you haven't understood what, what the Bible is saying. You see, back in Jewish culture, it was the sons who inherited all the riches of the father, not the daughters. It was the sons who got it all. And what Paul, the Apostle Paul, is saying here is altogether radical, altogether shocking, altogether against the political correctness of his time. Now he's saying, through Jesus' death and resurrection, not only are we forgiven, completely let off the hook, but we become internal inheritors of the blessings and riches of God. It doesn't matter anymore whether you're a man or a woman, old or young, every tribe, every tongue, every class, every background, no one excluded. Through Jesus, we all have royal blood. We are sons of the king. You know what? There is no higher privilege, is there? But, but also, we can forget this very easily when suffering comes, when we mess up, when temptation hits us in the face, when God seems very distant, when pride and self-righteousness well up, well up in us. We can quite easily deceive ourselves into thinking all these truths are not true for you, for me. A figment of our imagination. And in those times, it's God, the Holy Spirit, that brings us back, draws us close. He's our Father. In John 14, 6, it says, Jesus says that he's dead and risen. Uh, and Jesus says after he's died and risen again, I will ask the Father who will give you another advocate to help you, to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. I'm going to give you another advocate. That word advocate, is uh, the, the Greek word is parakaleo, parakaleo, and it's a very difficult word to translate. Sometimes it's translated comforter, which is really sweet, but sometimes makes the uh, Holy Spirit sound like a quilt or something. So they don't use that very often now. Sometimes it's translated helper, or friend, J.B. Phillips' translation says, uh, someone else to stand by you. The word parakaleo, parakaleo is such a rich and complex word that one 
English word doesn't do it justice, especially when you're describing God the Holy Spirit. Parakaleo. You see, on the one hand, para means not to be in front of, not to be behind, but right alongside, a bit like the word parallel. God the Holy Spirit comes right alongside you. He stands by you. He upholds you. He represents you. Loyal to the end, for you, in the strongest sense. But on the other hand, kaleo, the second part of that word, means to declare, to call, even to argue with you. There's a soft side of him who comforts you, but there's also a hard side, arguing with you, debating with you, challenging you. What are you doing this for? Stop that. Get real. He's sometimes for you, against you. Sometimes his love has teeth in it. When your heart is filled with doubts, when your heart is filled with fear, when life is seemingly not going to plan, when God feels different, when suffering strikes, when you're overwhelmed by the vast call of God on your life, you know what? The Holy Spirit comes alongside you closely, intimately, says, no, come on, snap out of it. You're a child of God. You're loved. You're cherished. You're, I'm in control. I'm with you to the very end of the age. Do you really know that you're a child of God, loved and cherished? Are you living in the truth of that daily? Or are you behaving just like friends of the family? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Thirdly, he gives glory. The Holy Spirit restores our relationship to God by giving glory and attention to Jesus. Before Jesus was arrested and eventually crucified, Jesus spoke very intimately with his disciples over a meal in an upper room of a house. And in that intimate moment, he tells them that he's leaving. Remember, these guys had been with Jesus from the very start. Jesus was turning, uh, as Jesus was turning the world he lived in upside down, these guys gave up everything to be with this Jesus. Their jobs, their security, their families, their lives. Why? To follow him, to be with him, to be changed by him. Every day was with Jesus. And then suddenly, Jesus now says, my children, I will be with you only a little longer. I'm off. Toodaloo. Can you imagine the horror? But before Jesus left, he said something very important. And the disciples didn't get the vastness of it to begin with. They did later. But before Jesus left, he explained that he wasn't just leaving them. There was hope. It would be even better without him. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. What was he saying? What was he promising? I tell you what he was saying. He was saying, before I was with a few of you, but now I'm going to send God the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of myself, me in every way, so that I can be with everyone, everywhere, every time, including you. John 16, he will bring glory to me by taking from, uh, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. That's what Jesus said. The spirit of Jesus in you, with you, always. Do you know Jesus with that, 
much clarity and certainty. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Fourthly, he restores our relationship to God by filling us with God's love, the love of God. Uh, I find this quote quite funny. Andrew Wilson, who was down at New Day talking to a lot of the guys, he says this, describing the love of God is like trying to rub- rugby tackle a snooker table. You can give it your best shot, but ultimately it is far big for you to get your arms around. By bringing us new life, by convincing us that we are God's children, by by making Jesus alive and real to us in the present tense, we are assured that God loves us, aren't we? When you look at Jesus, you see, love isn't just a fuzzy, funny, lovey-dovey feeling, is it? When you see and understand Jesus, you realize that love is much, much bigger, much, much deeper. In Jesus, in Jesus' love, there's a self-giving, self-giving commitment that results in action. Jesus' love moves him from heavenly glory and worship to earth to become flesh. He moves from all majesty and honor in heaven to be an infant who trips up, grazes his knees, vomits. He moves from all the intimacy that he had from the beginning of, his, of time with his father in heaven to facing temptation of all kinds, misunderstanding, bereavement, rejection. He moves from the throne room of heaven to a cross barely unrecognizable, welts on his face, gashes in his chest, ripped flesh. He, knew, he moves from the sinless perfection to shouldering the wrath of God for all of our lives and lusts and pride and envy and greed. Totally alone, totally forsaken, with nails through his wrists and feet, with lungs filling up slowly with his own blood. This God-man, Jesus, in absolute terrifying love, cries out to his oppressors, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. You want to know what it is to be loved? Look at Jesus. What are you not sure about? Of course he loves us. And therefore, knowing this reality, seeing this reality, feeling this reality, we are called, every one of us, Jubilee, to love each other and others in the same way. When you, really, when you really, really think about it, that is a very challenging thing to do. 1 John 4 says, Let us love one another, for love comes from God. And we see that in the cross. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Do you want to know what love really is all about? Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Fifthly, he restores our relationship to God by bringing the Bible alive in us, the truth of God alive in us. You know what? God is, you know what? God, the Holy Spirit, is the spirit of truth. He authored the Bible. He's the one who breathed life and truth into it. Yeah, it's, 
Yet, yeah, contributions come from many people, from many different backgrounds. But the continuity of it, the vitality of it, rests in the fact that God inspired it. God brought it into being. That's how Jesus, that's how the apostles saw it as they read the Bible, as they uh, talked about the Bible. That's what they saw as they <coughs> used it in their ministry. Do you? Paul's prayer to the Colossian church, as we've read in, uh, and unpacked in our last series, he says this, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. It's not ju- he's not talking about just knowing it. He's not even talking about just understanding it. He's saying, let it dwell in you richly. Jubilee, are you asking God the Spirit to bring the Bible alive in you every day? Keep being filled. Sixthly, he helps us to pray. Boy, we need this. I need this. You see, through prayer, our intimacy and love for God grows, doesn't it? Through prayer, our dependence on Him strengthens. Faith rises. Trust deepens. Through, God, through prayer, God's will becomes real in our lives, in our towns, in our universities, in our schools, in the nations. You see, everything in our sinful nature doesn't want to have to rely on God. We can do it ourselves, thank you very much. But it doesn't work like that. We need a helper. We need an encourager. We need one who gives us faith to pray. And Romans 8 tells us God's Spirit is right alongside, helping us along. If we don't know how or what to pray, it doesn't matter. He does our praying in us and for us. He knows us far better than we know ourselves and keeps us present before God. Be filled with the Spirit. Keep praying. Seventhly, He purifies us. We who chose to go it our own way, we who uh, chose to dishonor and disobey Him on a daily basis, we who worship and give our hearts and our souls and our minds to lots of other things above Him, we who sin daily, God chooses to purify, clean up, make us more and more like him. Love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, fruits in our lives of the Holy Spirit, fruits that God is doing his stuff. These are the characteristics of Jesus. And do you know what? The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, we are being transformed into his, Jesus' likeness, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. That's a promise. Are you allowing that to happen day by day? What are you holding back from God the Holy Spirit that you don't want changing? Be filled, be filled with God the Holy Spirit. So we're getting fairly, we're getting pretty quick through this. Um, So he restores our relationship to God. That was the first section. That's what God the Holy Spirit does. He grows in us a passion for Jesus, 
and all he has done. He excites us about the wonder of God in our lives, in this town, in this nation, and in the nations, as we read the Bible, as we pray. But secondly, he not only restores our relationship to God, but he also gives us the power of God. He empowers us as Christians in the world and in our churches. Um, Some of you might have heard Jeremy talk about this, but we have a boiler at home, and it has a teeny-weeny little pilot light in it. I'm not sure what it's for, because I don't know about these things. But it's a little flame that sits there in your boiler, and it keeps the thing chugging along, I think. That's a technical term. Um, I'll tell you about it later, Eric. The pilot light, that little flame. But when I turn on the ther- when I turn the thermostat up, that teeny weeny titchy little flame suddenly goes, doesn't it? The whole heating system kicks into action. God, the Holy Spirit, ignites in us. Everything that God has birthed in us so that we can be effective, fruitful Christians, making a difference for him. And primarily, I think he does that to end in two ways. Firstly, he gives us boldness and joy. In Ephesians 5, Paul writes very curiously, a lot of the commentators say, do not get drunk on wine, instead be filled with the Spirit the Holy Spirit. (laughs) If you really think about it, that is a a funny thing to say, isn't it? Particularly for Paul in his time. When you look at the commentaries, they're often taken aback by this. They're quite surprised. Why is the Apostle Paul comparing and contrasting being filled with God the Holy Spirit to the effects of a bottle of Jack Daniels? It's odd, isn't it? Why? Why? Because Paul clearly sees, on the one hand, a similarity with being drunk on alcohol and being filled with the Spirit. But on the other hand, he sees a big, big difference. That's the only reason why it's there. So what's the similarity? Remember Acts 2, uh, on the day of Pentecost, when God first empowered his people with a a vast number of people with God, the Holy Spirit, with the, with the Spirit. As thousands of people came alive to Jesus, as people were being filled with courage and happiness, courage and happiness like they'd never known before, speaking about the wonders of Jesus, the gospel, with such clarity and fluency and boldness and joy that it so impressed the crowd. You can read about it. But what did the crowd think? when all this was happening. Remember? They thought, they must be drunk. That's what they thought. It was the only explanation of what was happening to them. You see, when you drink alcohol, it gives you a courage to do things and say things that you wouldn't ordinarily do. When you drink too much, you get a buzz, you get a high, a happiness that lifts you for a while. You see, alcohol gets rid of your inhibitions. It melts away some of the things that you're afraid of. It gives you a confidence which normally might not be there. That's how being filled with the Spirit and being drunk on alcohol 
are similar, says Paul. They both give you a boldness, a courage, and a joy. But the difference is key. How does alcohol work? Alcohol depresses your mind. Alcohol dulls your senses so that you see less of reality. So your boldness and confidence and joy are not based on what's really happening, but a false sense of security and understanding. It makes you feel, it makes you see less of reality. But the fullness of the Spirit is altogether opposite. God the Holy Spirit doesn't make us less aware of reality, but more aware, intensely aware, not just of the material and the physical and the things we can see, but the supernatural, the spiritual that many don't understand, the things of God. So when you're filled with the Spirit, you'll have a courage and excitement and a joy about the gospel that will explode in you, that will change you. You won't be able to stop sharing the gospel with others who don't know Jesus yet. You'll have a sensitivity and a wisdom like never before to know what to say, how to say it, when to say it, a real courage and a wisdom rooted not in, not in seeing less of reality, but the truth of God, the confidence of God, the very plans and purposes of God. Jesus said to his disciples in Acts 1, you will, not might, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all of Judea and Samaria, and you know what? To the very ends of the earth. As I said, Alpha starts in September. Who are you going to invite? Pray about it. Then boldly, confidently, sensitively, unapologetically, ask them to come. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Finally, finally, he empowers us by giving us gifts. One of the most exciting things that new Christians receive as they are filled with the Spirit are what we call spiritual gifts. What are they? Well, you can read about them. You might want to jot this down because it would be good to go home and read about them or, or, uh, or pray about them later. But you can read about them in Romans 12, in Ephesians 4, in 1 Corinthians 12, and 1 Peter 4. Romans 12, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Peter 4. I'm not going to list them all. But essentially, spiritual gifts are differing abilities given by God the Holy Spirit to each believer, every one of you, no one excluded, to meet the needs around you in such a way, in such a way that it creates a community of people who are growing into the fullness and character of Jesus Christ. That's what spiritual gifts are. I'm going to say that again. Spiritual gifts are differing abilities given by God, the Holy Spirit, to each believer, every one of you, to meet the needs around you in such a way that it creates a community of people who are growing into the fullness and character of Jesus. Now, there's been a lot written, a lot said about spiritual gifts um, over the years. In fact, even in my relatively short time in leadership here at Jubilee, I've personally made a few observations about spiritual gifts in the church. And I'm just going to end with these, and then we're going to pray. We're going to worship, 
and we're going to pray for one another. Firstly, it's important to recognize, realize, ask with faith that every one of us has them. No one is left out. To each is given something, says the Bible. And because of that fact in the church, there is and should be a supernatural interdependence or reliance on each other because we are all valued. We all have different gifts. We are all making our unique contribution. And you know what? If we're not exercising our spiritual gifts, if we're not growing in them, if we're not asking God to grow these in us, if we're not putting faith into action, do you know what? The whole church loses out. It's selfish, really. What are your spiritual gifts? Do you know? Ask God. Ask others. Another observation that I've had um, over the years is that they cause a little bit of tension, a little bit of conflict, as each of us sees things with our differing priorities, depending on our gifts. Let me give you an example. Over the years, Jill, Jill and Andy Ball have been our good friends. But over the years, Jill, is Jill here? Jill has sent us countless emails. We've had meetings. We've had le written letters about Jubilee Church and how Jubilee Church is reaching out to the poor and the ethnic groups in Teesides. We've had lots and lots of emails and discussions. She's often made, she often makes her thoughts crystal clear in a way that Jill beautifully, wonderfully only does. You may have noticed that too. And you know what? Sometimes I've got quite defensive about it. Sometimes when I've read some of the emails, I've got a little bit... But the more and more I've got to know Jill over the years, and Andy, the more I've come to respect their passion for the poor and their zeal for biblical truth, particularly in creating a diverse, multiracial church. That is her spiritual gift. It causes a bit of tension sometimes. In fact, I would say her very persistence over the years and others about this has been one of the biggest contributors of what we see here in Jubilee today. Thanks, Jill. You see, it's not all about talent and skills. She may not have done it always in the right way. I've I might not have received it always in the right way. But what makes a spiritual gift is not the skill of it necessarily, but the blessing of God on it. That's what makes it fruitful. Through the diversity and conflict that spiritual gifts can cause in a church, we are given the opportunity, to cho the choice to work out those differences and grow in our understanding of one another in such a way that makes Jubilee Church a powerhouse for God. Or we can get all huffy. Are you taking those opportunities wisely in a godly way? And finally, about spiritual gifts. Why are they given to us? Why? To produce fruit, maturity. That's what 
That's why God gives us them. You see, in a world where output and results are the things that are valued above and beyond character, we can get very busy with our spiritual gifts and our ministries at the expense of growing in Christ-likeness. That's the fruit of the Spirit, maturity. You see, that was a reality that hit me a few years ago when I had to take a sabbatical from Jubilee Church. A lot of you remember that. I was neglecting my family, my home life, my marriage. In all my busyness, I was ultimately neglecting the church. Jubilee, growing in spiritual gifts without growing in spiritual fruit is like a punctured tire that is losing air. So watch out. Okay? We're going to end there. Jubilee, I want, I want you to ask God to fan into flame the gifts that he has given you wisely, responsibly, with zeal and passion. And very, very importantly, once again, as Vim said last week, with faith. Take time to pray to understand them, to understand each other. Grow in love for one another and him, which is the key. Right, I'm done. If the band can come up, that would be great. If we can also pass around the buckets...